Welcome to the America's Workforce Radio Podcast, the flagship production of the American Workers Radio and Podcast Network, where organized labor and its never-ending fight to protect the rights of the American worker come first. Now, presented by LIUNA, Laborers International Union of North America, here's your host, Ed Flash Ferens. Jobless rate ticks up a bit, but 16,000 new manufacturing jobs in one month. Fall around the corner, but the hot labor summer continues. And today on the show, the latest from the Ohio AFL-CIO and the president of the Professional Aviation Safety Specialist. Welcome to the Tuesday, September 5th edition of America's Workforce, where we are available on at least five platforms, including Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, iHeartRadio, Spotify, and Pandora. We have two guests on the show today. Starting things off with Tim Berg, a longtime supporter of America's Workforce, serves as president of the Ohio AFL-CIO, and this being the day after Labor Day. We're going to talk about a report that was publicized yesterday by Policy Matters Ohio. This is an organization which we have featured many times on the show, and it's the key findings from the state of working Ohio. The study points out that Ohio has restored the number of jobs lost to COVID-19. However, that recovery was confined to just four metropolitan areas with significant job growth. While most of Ohio communities, well, they're still struggling. By some measures, the labor market in the state is highly favorable to working people with a low unemployment rate and two job openings per unemployed worker. However... For a significant share of workers, the tight labor market is not, let me repeat, not translating into livable wages. And understaffing is creating additional work for those who are on the job. Now, based on a living wage calculator, this is from MIT, the Massachusetts Institute of Technology, a family of four with two working parents each needs to be paid $24.53 per hour, meaning those living in the state of Ohio are not paid enough to cover the basics until they reach the 60th percentile of all working people in the state. And you know what's happening. This is something we've addressed on the show. Because of the labor market, many employers are seeking access to more vulnerable workers, including children, and people harmed by the criminal legal system classifying workers as contractors to skirt labor protections, which has been going on for a long time. And get this, what are the recommendations? And there's many. We'll talk about it with Tim. Former union. Protect workers' right to join or form a union, which is happening, which is happening. So we'll delve into that. Also... The redistricting issue has yet to be resolved, and there's a deadline approaching, but there's another issue at play, and we briefly talked about this. There is a coalition called Citizens Not Politicians that's pushing for a statewide vote next year, not this time, 2024, to put Ohio's redistricting process in the hands of an independent Keyword independent, 15-member bipartisan commission rather than elected officials. <laughs> Keep the elected officials out of this because they're just screwing things up. 
So uh, Tim's going to be our first guest. Second guest on the show is uh, David Spiro. David is serving his first term as national president of the Professional Aviation Safety Specialists, better known as PASS, and they're affiliated with the AFL-CIO. And uh, here's an organization that represents about 11,000 employees of the FAA and the Department of Defense who, and I'll tell you, talk about an important job. They install, maintain, support, and certify air traffic control and national defense equipment. They also inspect and oversee the commercial and general aviation industries, develop flight procedures, and perform quality analysis of the aviation systems. As national president, David is responsible for leading the policy of the union and advocating for the needs and workplace rights of past bargaining unit employees. He meets on a regular basis with senior FAA officials, as well as members of Congress who serve on committees related to federal employee issues, aviation safety, agency funding, staffing, and resources. One of the things we're going to talk about is the upcoming anniversary, which is next Monday of September 11th, the terrorist attacks and the impact of the aviation history. The other issue is the return to office plans of the Biden administration for federal employees. This is a big issue, not just in uh, in government, but even in the private sector. There's a lot of people that are so accustomed to working at home and being productive. They'd like to remain that way. And a lot of employers are saying, no, I think you're goofing around. Now, He's going to talk about the Federal Aviation Administration, where PASS represents, like I mentioned, 11,000 employees. Now, the FAA tried to unilaterally change telework agreements, which was, by the way, in violation of their collective bargaining agreement. So there's a tug of war going on right there. And uh, recently, PASS held its constitutional convention in Pittsburgh. And uh, depending on time, we'll see the issues that came up in that. So David Spiro, president of PASS. Here's the website, by the way. It's passnational.org, passnational.org. Now a brief look into the world of labor. This segment brought to you by the good folks at Boyd Watterson Asset Management. New figures out on Friday from the Labor Department show that employers added 187,000 jobs in August, but at a slower rate than the job market has been adding since the pandemic. The unemployment rate ticked up to 3.8% mainly in part because of the 37,000 jobs lost when the trucking company Yellow declared bankruptcy. Also keep in mind, a lot of people on strike right now and uh, sag after in the writer's guild. I'll get to that in a minute here. Now, the economy appears to be steadying with about one and a half jobs for every person looking. Now, that is down from two openings in 2022 as the hiring frenzies in the past two years calm down economists expect job growth to continue in healthcare and education which by the way those two sectors have made up 85 percent of the job growth in the past three months how about that 97,000 jobs in healthcare last month alone add to that government investments in infrastructure 
Under the Bipartisan Infrastructure Act, Renewable Energy, thanks to the IRA, Inflation Reduction Act, and Semiconductor Manufacturing, thanks to the Chips and Science Act, are likely to keep demand growing. These are policies all from the first two years of the Biden administration, which he's pretty darn proud of. Now, regarding those manufacturing jobs, we have a comment here from uh, one of our partners on the show. That would be uh, the Alliance for American Manufacturing. Scott Paul said, it's good to see manufacturing rebound after a long stretch of stagnant job numbers. The Inflation Reduction Act's one-year anniversary reminds us of the enormous potential for manufacturing job growth. Factory construction is booming across America with more than $500 billion worth of announced investments in sectors like semiconductors, clean energy, and more. But whether this growth continues is contingent on proper implementation and enforcement of the president's Made in America commitments. The American people want federal tax dollars reinvested into their communities. Now it's time to get the job done. Scott points out an overwhelming majority, we're talking 78% of voters, believe the federal government should be required to buy American with its own purchases. This is according to a poll conducted by Morning Consult for the American Manufacturing Organization. You can read more if you go to AmericanManufacturing.org. Again, one month, last month, August, 16,000 jobs created. Hopefully that will continue. Hundreds of Labor Day parades occurred around the country over the weekend with Philadelphia welcoming President Biden to its celebration. By the way, a uh, Cornell University School of Industrial and Labor Relations tracker indicated that over 500 labor actions have occurred in this country since the beginning of the year. And the temperatures of this so-called hot labor summer are expected to carry over into the fall. As the SAG after strike continues, Writers Guild strike continues, and United Auto Workers approach their contract expiration date, which, by the way, is next Thursday, September 14th. Speaking of which, the UAW filed a labor complaint against General Motors and Stellantis, alleging they had not bargained adequately with their contracts nearing expiration. Sean Fain, the president of the UAW, criticized the automakers for not countering on wages and benefits and even termed threats of plant closures as economic terrorism. Ford is defending its wage increase offer to workers. Oh, boy, we're at crunch time, aren't we? Hollywood actors and writers, as I, in- as I indicated, continue to strike, fueled by concern about the use of artificial intelligence. Last Thursday, Bloomberg News reported that striking employees are advocating for a probe into the decades-long entertainment industry consolidation. Members of the Writers Guild of America West and the Screen Actors Guild have submitted over 100 comments on ongoing Federal Trade Commission rulemaking initiatives. Meanwhile, SAG-AFTRA will start voting this week on whether to authorize a strike against video game companies. The union is seeking increases and protections against the use of, again, AI, artificial intelligence, for video game performers. Employer use of AI has been an important issue in the talks throughout the entertainment industry this year and has been a continued source of tension with movie and TV studios in addition to these negotiations with 
video game companies. Fran Drescher is the president of SAG-AFTRA, and she said, once again, artificial intelligence is putting our members in jeopardy of reducing their opportunity to work. Now, the voting on that will close on September 25th, and according to the union, bargaining is scheduled to resume on September 26th. And one more here before we break. The International Longshore and Warehouse Union announced that its members have voted to approve a new six-year contract with the Pacific Maritime Association. According to the union, the contract was approved by 75% of the members who voted. The deal will cover 22,000 dock workers at 29 ports along the West Coast, who, by the way, have been working without a contract since July of last year. Neither party, neither party has released details of the new contract. That was also helped out immensely by our acting labor secretary, Julie Sue, who is yet to be confirmed by the Senate. She got involved in those talks and many on both sides of the aisle said, you know what, she did a pretty good job, but obviously not enough to get her confirmed as labor secretary, not just acting labor secretary. All right, we're going to take a quick break. When we come back, Tim Berga on behalf of the Ohio AFL-CIO. This is America's Workforce. More shows available at awfradio.com. It takes Lyuna to build North America's infrastructure. From roads and bridges to schools and skyscrapers, the men and women of Lyuna, the Laborers International Union of North America, build the projects we depend on. From constructing the Freedom Tower on the site of the former World Trade Center to untangling Washington, D.C.'s congested interstate, Lyuna members do the work that matters. Find out what it takes to be built by Lyuna at lyuna.org. That's L-I-U-N-A dot org. We're the nurses, firefighters, and claims representatives that help keep our government services running. We respond to natural disasters. We care for our nation's veterans. And we investigate discrimination in the workplace. We are federal and D.C. government workers. And we are proud to serve the American people. Working in more than 70 agencies across the government, we know we can fulfill our mission because our union has our back. Learn more at AFGE.org. Paid for by the American Federation of Government Employees, AFL-CIO. America's Workforce is brought to you in part by the United Steelworkers. You can find more at USW.org. America's Workforce is sponsored in part by Boyd Watterson Asset Management, LLC. Find out more about our investment solutions tailored to meet the needs of Taft-Hartley funds at BoydWatterson.com. America's Workforce is brought to you in part by the Heat and Frost Insulators Labor Management Cooperative Trust. Find out more at insulators.org forward slash LMCT. This segment of America's Workforce is brought to you by Survey and Ballot Systems. SBS has been providing unions with secure and flexible election options for over 30 years. Visit surveyandballotsystems.com to learn more. America's Workforce is presented by the Labor's International Union of North America. Feel the power right now at liuna.org. Now, back to Ed Flash Ferrens with America's Workforce. And remember, you can check us out on Facebook or follow us on Twitter or X, whatever the name of that company is. And that would be AWF Union Podcast, AWF Union Podcast. By the way, this next segment brought to you in part by the United Labor Agency, always connecting people with employment, good employment. 
You can find more at ulagency.org. In fact, Dave Meganhart, the executive director of the ULA, will be joining us tomorrow. Right now, let's go to Columbus, Ohio. Welcome one of our longtime contributors. A little tired today. As you know, yesterday was Labor Day, and obviously when you're president of the Ohio AFL-CIO, that consumes a lot of your time. Tim Berga, welcome back to the show. I understand what you were in Cincinnati yesterday. Was this at a Reds game? Give me, uh, give me the details. What happened there? That's right. Great American ballpark, uh, Reds game, organized labor does a big thing there in the fan zone and watch the game. Uh, I was fortunate enough and honored to throw out the first pitch. And we had uh, one of our uh, food and commercial worker members sing the national anthem and just a whole day of uh, really recognizing labor at the Reds game. So it was really great fun and uh, a good long day. Well, there were parades and rallies all around, well, not just the state of Ohio, but around the country. I know uh, President Biden was in uh, Philadelphia, and obviously he is very, very pro-union. And it was a week ago today that Liz Shuler and Fred Redman, the president and secretary treasurer of the uh, national AFL-CIO, came out with some polling. They did, uh, they did a survey of 1,200 registered voters, young and old, and they reported wide bipartisan support for not just unions, but also for the strikers. For unions, 71 percent, and that included 52 percent among Republicans, mind you. And for strikes, for better wages and benefits, 75 percent of the public said, yeah, we're on the side of workers. And Tim, maybe you could chime in on this. The support is intergenerational. Voters under 30 back unions by a margin of 88%. Uh, that's got to make you feel pretty good with, uh, with what's happening in America right now, Tim, right? Trend lines are all good when it looks at uh, public approval for unions. When you look at policies uh, at the federal level, at least, that are helping working people out, uh, you know, when you're looking at the National Labor Relations Board, who under the Biden administration is getting back to its original purpose of protecting workers are, um, you know, we're seeing organizing on the rise. So the tight labor market, uh, post COVID people took stock of their lives and their working situation and, and everything is uh, trending in the right direction. We just have to sustain it and keep it going. Yeah. A lot of militancy out there. Hot union summer, as they say. All right, yesterday, Policy Matters Ohio came out with a report on the state of working Ohio. They do this every Labor Day. And what's interesting about this is they found out, well, as far as uh, COVID-19, a lot of the jobs have come back, but it's still not very even. And in various cities, I think there's like four cities. Yes, it's pretty good, but there's many parts of the state that are not. And they point out, this is interesting, a family of four with two working parents needs each to be paid, each to be paid, almost $25 an hour, $24.53 to be exact. And Tim, you know, there's a lot of people not in that, uh, in that category right now. Talk to me. I know, I know you took a look at this survey. How do you feel about the, how, what's your opinion of the state of working Ohio? Go ahead. Trending in the right direction. Uh, trying to make up for the lost ground uh, working people have had for the last 20 years here in Ohio and, and most of the country, frankly. But it's trending in the right place. Um, unemployment is historically low. We've reached 5.64 million jobs in Ohio, the most ever reported in the state of Ohio. So uh, there are jobs out there. The tight labor market 
Plus, with workers, you know, during COVID, they really thought about what their working life looked like and, you know, said we're no longer just going to spin our wheels and, you know, maybe make it even this month during work. And we want something different. So the tight labor market has ushered in an era of worker power. And workers are starting to understand their power and learning um, that, you know, that we're stronger together at the workplace to have a voice for scheduling, for better pay, for better health care, better retirement security, all those things. So median hourly wages in Ohio uh, are up, but still um, a little bit below the national average. But again, you know, this was a state for many, many decades that enjoyed uh, wages higher than the national average. And then, you know, for reasons we've talked about many times on this program for, you know, automation and outsourcing and globalization and all those things, Ohio um, has suffered uh, dramatically the last 20 years. So things are turning around in Ohio, trending in the right direction. Uh, we just need to keep it going. And large credit to this goes to the Biden administration for all of the smart federal investment, uh, A, to get us out of the COVID pandemic, to help uh, repair the supply chain problem uh, from COVID and put money into things that actually create jobs. In Ohio last year, we saw 52,000 new union jobs created largely because of this federal investment, whether it's in the uh, infrastructure bill or the CHIPS Act, uh, the American Rescue Plan. Now, we still need uh, workers, frankly, especially in the public sector um, and education and, and bus drivers and custodial and things of that nature. But trend lines are up, flash, um, but there are forces at play that want to reverse that. And we just need to keep this, uh, this moving in the correct and the right direction. That full uh, story can be accessed at policymattersohio.org, policymattersohio.org. That's the state of working Ohio. And just uh, some of the recommendations, and you touched on a few of these, protect working people from wage theft and hold accountable all employers who steal from their workers. That's huge. End misclassification and repeal laws that classify ride-hail drivers as non-employees insured paid sick leave for all Ohio workers, protect workers' right to join or form a union. That's just a few. You wanted to add a few here, uh, Tim? Well, you know, the uh, misclassification of workers is still a big, big problem in the state. But uh, let me point out something that came in in a study last week unrelated to this, is that child care subsidy in the state of Ohio, uh, for what you were able to earn to get a state subsidy for child care, Ohio's dead last. So child wow. care it remains a huge problem for, you know, working parents, and that has to change. Another uh, issue that came up in the report, protect democracy. I thought that was kind of interesting, especially after what voters said on issue one. <laughs> Isn't that kind of interesting, Tim? It, it certainly is. Um, what is more and more apparent is working people in the state of Ohio uh, want to maintain their rights, you know, whether they're voting rights, uh, rights on the job, or as we saw in issue one, their constitutional rights to a petition initiative. So um, it's, it's, it's striking. Uh, workers are realizing their power. The federal um, government is helping workers recognize their power. And there's a long way to go, but 
there seems to be a reversal of flavor over the last 20 years. And uh, we know it can get stunted uh, uh, quickly. So that's why we need to make sure that the trend lines continue to go up. But we've got a ways to go, but at least it's in some uh, much encouraging news. Yeah, issue one was a wake-up call to a lot of politicians in the state of Ohio, which attracted not just national but uh, international attention. And more to come on that one. All right, I want to switch gears here a little bit. And one of the issues of concern for you and for so many is redistricting. And, uh, well, there's two things going on right now. Isn't there a deadline coming up on uh, on the pre on the, the commission? This is what voters went to the polls for back, I think, in 2015 and 2017. And then there's our former Chief Justice, Maureen O'Connor, who's trying to get uh, something on the ballot for next year. But talk to me about the deadline coming up. How do we look on that, Tim? Yeah, well, refresher here. So last year, the Ohio Supreme Court with Chief Justice O'Connor there rejected congressional and state legislative maps six times because they were gerrymandered. So we we actually voted for state legislators and congressional members with maps that were ruled illegal because the clock ran out. So they the redistricting commission in the state of Ohio, which includes the poli- you know the politicians, are convening to draw new maps. Um, so I'm not terribly optimistic that you know the same set of people are going to are going to receive a better outcome. So Chief Justice Maureen O'Connor, who is aged out of the court, is leading up an effort called Citizens Not Politicians to uh, put forth an independent commission to draw our state legislative and congressional maps. And that's not like a good idea to get the politicians out of it from drawing their own districts. So uh, she is uh, attempting uh, to lead this effort. Uh, they've submitted an initial summary petition with signatures, and the attorney general rejected the summary, so they're in the process of refiling. The expectation is, is that uh, the, the state officials will try to all this thing and provide present roadblocks uh, all the way through. Uh, but we think it's a really good idea that Ohioans are going to need to pay attention to. And, and we'll take it up as a state federation as it moves along. But in order to rebalance the state, both politically and policy wise, um, to, you know, get rid of this extremism that we've seen the last decade and a half, um, something like this is needed. Citizens, not politicians. This proposal would specifically prohibit current or former elected officials from serving on the commission. That's interesting. It is bipartisan. So you got Republicans, you got Democrats, and you got independents on there. 15 members. We'll see what happens. Again, there's a, this is a long way to go here. This would be uh, for November of next year, 2024. Lots to watch here. Tim Berger, I'm going to let you go. Take care. Thank you so much for supporting America's workforce, and uh, we'll talk to you in a month. Okay, brother? Okay. Thanks for having me. All right. We're going to take a quick break. David Spiro is the president of PASS, Professional Aviation Safety Specialist. Keyword safety. We'll talk about his organization and more right after this. This is America's Workforce. It takes Lyuna to power North America with affordable energy. The men and women of Lyuna, the Laborers International Union of North America, have the skills needed to build and maintain oil, natural gas, nuclear, solar, and wind projects that are shaping America's energy future. From new energy tech to retrofitted facilities, 
Lyuna members do it all. Find out what it takes to be powered by Lyuna at Lyuna.org. That's L-I-U-N-A dot org. America's Workforce is brought to you in part by the Communication Workers of America. You can find more at cwa-union.org. There is unity and strength for workers. We are the USW. We are the USW. The The United United Steelworkers. The largest industrial union in North America. We represent 850,000 members in In the the US, US, Canada, Canada, and the the Caribbean. Caribbean. We work in metals, rubber, chemicals, paper, oil refining, atomic energy, and the service sector. We are Steelworkers. Standing strong. And fighting for what's right. America's Workforce is brought to you in part by the International Federation of Professional and Technical Engineers. You can find more at ifpte.org. Now, back to America's Workforce. Here's Ed Flash Ferens. And don't forget, you can check us out on at least five platforms. That includes Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, iHeartRadio, Spotify, and Pandora. And when you get an opportunity... To sign up and receive our shows on a regular basis and give us a rating. We always appreciate those five-star ratings, so please keep them coming. By the way, this next segment brought to you in part by the North Coast Labor Federation. Before we get to David Spiro, I want to share with you some data that the AFL-CIO has provided on uh, the income inequality situation in America. CEOs continue to make millions while workers' real wages decline. Now, last year, 2022, CEOs of the S&P, Standard & Poor's 500 companies, received, on average, $16.7 million in total compensation. This was the second highest level of CEO pay in history for S&P 500 corporations, the average CEO to worker pay ratio, this is average, 272 to 1, 272 to 1. Overall, U.S. workers' real hourly wages, they fell last year for the second year in a row. Now, some of the companies, (laughs) I'm talking about runaway pay here, Coca-Cola Company, Average worker, listen to this, is $12,122. Now, obviously, they got a lot of part-time workers, and probably this is, since they're a global company, wages are much cheaper outside the United States. Their uh, CEO to worker pay ratio was 1 to 1,883, okay? Okay. In other words, almost 2,000 times an average worker that the CEO is making. How about this one? Skechers. Average worker, 10,500, another global company. The CEO, over 2,000, almost 2,100 times more than that. 2,100 times. Uh, let's see, Hertz. You know that one, the rental car company. They're global too. Average worker there, 36,000. The CEO makes almost 5,000 times that. But here's the best one. Live Nation Entertainment. They put on concerts all around the world. Average worker, 25000 The CEO, 5,414 times that. <laughs> Is that out of whack or what? Let's go to Washington right now. And join David Spiro. David is national president of the Professional Aviation Safety Specialists, PassNational.org. He represents about uh, 11,000 employees in the Federal Aviation Administration, also uh, 
the Department of Defense. We're going to talk about air safety. David, are you, are you okay? Did you hear those numbers? I'm just checking, checking your heartbeat right now. <laughs> I flash unbelievable, right? And, and you know, it, it makes the case all in and of itself uh, for unions and, and why, why it's so important for people to have a union because that's the only way to turn that stuff around. Only way. Unbelievable. Unbelievable. Yeah, you know, you want a vibrant middle class. You know, when, when the middle class is strong, America is strong. And, you know, the CEO pay ratio was never like that back in the 50s and 60s. It was like 20 to 1, you know. And, and now it's, it's just off the charts. It's ridiculous. Well, anyway, let's talk about your organization. You've been on the show a couple of times. We always get new listeners and we're moving up. Well, I'm telling you, we're doing really well. In fact, we got new data. You're going to love to hear this, David. There's 2 million podcasts in the world. 2 million. We wow. are in the top 10,000 right now. Closer to 8,000. And I've been saying, you know, we're in the top 5%. We're closing in on 1%. It's, it's really growing. Obviously, there's a thirst for information of what we provide here on America's Workforce. So with that being said... You got a pretty good audience here. Talk to me about PASS and uh, how you got involved. Go ahead. Well, thank you. So I'm, I'm honored to be on uh, such a, a fantastic uh, production. Um, so we've been around since 1977. We represent about 11,000 employees in the FAA, a little bit more. They uh, install, maintain, support, certify air traffic control and, and national defense equipment. And we also inspect and oversee the commercial and general aviation industries. We develop flight procedures perform quality analysis of complex aviation systems that are used in air traffic control and national defense. We do a lot of work uh, as subject matter experts within the FAA and from inspectors to uh, system specialists, to uh, aeronautical information specialists, you name it, uh, support staff, air traffic services employees, we represent a ton of them. Very important job. I have to ask you, are you being provided with the tools your, your, your union members to do their job. I mean, they're, you're certifying planes here, whether or not they should fly. I mean, this is pretty darn important. Is that happening, David? Well, not always, no. The fund, first of all, the, the funding stream in the FAA is a bit broken, uh, and, and they got Congress has got to get it right. they got to make sure that this agency is properly funded. And that, that, that means not only, not only the tools and resources – uh, that we need to do the job for, for training, but also staffing. Uh, and, and we've got, you know, here the controllers talk about their staffing issues and, and they're legitimate, uh, but we're behind the scenes and, and we've got those same sorts of staffing problems. And, and just this weekend, I was talking to one of our regional vice presidents and we were talking about a problem at what, what's called the operational control center, where we have, uh, that, that's sort of the, 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 the 911 center for air traffic. So when they, something breaks, something's going wrong, uh, they call that they call that operations control center, and they begin to dispatch our folks. And they, and we represent the operations control center. And they dispatch our folks to go out, fix things, make sure it's working. They also coordinate uh, equipment when it's out of service. And because the staffing is so low, because the agency, and we're going to work on this today, as a matter of fact, with the agency, but because their staffing is so low, because they had a, a plan to do something different that didn't work out, we, we don't have enough people on answer the phones. So we got air traffic controllers and technicians waiting over an hour on the phone just to, uh, just to report something's out of service. So sometimes we got equipment that might be out of service. 
and pilots might not even know it. So, okay, when, when something that's out of service, <laughs> what you just said scares me, and the pilots don't know yeah, about it. Yeah, it should. Uh, I, there's no, like, shutdown, say, hey, you know what, we have to stop everything. And I know right now air travel's at its peak. We just went through a holiday weekend. We got holidays coming up here. I don't like what, what you're saying here, David. What, what's Congress saying about this right now? Well, so that, that's the funny thing. So not every uh, year and a half ago or so, we saw the whole thing with the NOTAM system that went out, the notice the airman system, that they had to do a ground, they had to do a ground stop and, and stop airplanes from moving. That was a, it's a national system that, that interfaces with, with everyone. Sometimes you've got standalone systems like airport uh, 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 surface detection equipment radars that make sure that all the all the ground traffic in an airport is not running into each other. That means that means vehicles on the ground that are moving across the runways and, and taxiways and airplanes and uh, and every other thing that could imagine. So airplanes that are landing, airplanes that are taxiing, that equipment makes sure it isn't working well. You know, sometimes that recently we had a situation where, where they couldn't get a hold of of, uh, of the operations control center, so they they had to take it down for for, for maintenance, and we weren't able to put out a, a, a notice to airmen. They coordinated locally with air traffic, but that stuff gets published when when out there, and pilots know that's out of service, and and that's that's the problems that are beginning to happen. We can't get the resources. And staffing, and even even parts to repair some of the equipment on occasion, they're they're having to cut corners now because they don't have enough money to do a lot of things, and and that's that's concerning. And Congress, they're not really weighing in on this yet. They're too busy thinking about how they're going to manage a shutdown. Yeah, yeah, they are. Yeah, that's right around the corner. How long mm-hmm. has this been like this, David? I mean, you've been president for what? That's two years right now. Has this been going on prior to the time that you took over as president? Yes, it's been progressing a uh, little by little, bite by bite. Uh, but, you know, eventually things begin to begin to cascade. And, and that's kind of what we got, uh, sort of a domino effect here. As these things begin to build on each other, uh, we begin to have more and more problems. And, and with, even with training and, and COVID, when all that, when that came out and they stopped sending people out to school, that backed up. They stopped hiring people because they couldn't get them trained. So that backed up. Now, of course, uh, they've got a glut on training, trying to find new ways to train people. Uh, they're trying to cut corners in some cases by, by doing uh, training via Zoom. Uh, that's not going to work. Uh, I mean, we've even, they're, even trying to, they're even trying to train people now to do CPR via Zoom. Think about that. Oh, no. Jeez. Yeah. How, how long does it take to train somebody in your organization i mean we're talking about maintaining and supporting and certifying air traffic control very very important what what time period are we looking at so it depends on what you're doing but but for for a technician in the field we're talking we're talking about three years to two to three years to get ready to go i would say three years on on that side and then on the inspector workforce side it it depends on where you're at and, and how much experience you have in the in in the field but takes a couple of years there as well to, to get that up and running. So uh, they, they have a different sort of a training program. The inspectors, they don't spend as much time in Oklahoma City as the technicians do. And, and that's, where, uh, that's where there's a, a bottleneck on the number of seats that you have out there to put people in classrooms. 
I have to ask you, I, I know you're familiar with what the building trades do. With their apprenticeship programs, they go into high schools, they go into underserved communities because there's a lot of money to be made in the trades right now. Is anything like that going on with with uh, with pass with the air safety specialists? Are, are you doing any of that? So I'm glad you asked that. Yeah, as a matter of fact, it is one of the areas that we are collaborating with the agency. There's a, a Gateways Internship Program uh, that the agency has started up and that we have been working on with them for about a year and a half. The target is to hire about 160 or so uh, interns, bring them around, around the country. We met some real quality people, too. Uh, and and tar- the program is well-targeted, making sure that uh, the, the, the places that they go, uh, they have – they have the mentorship. They have managers that are trained on, on exactly how to handle these uh, interns. And then they have an op- they hire them as students, and they have the opportunity uh, when they're when they're done with their classes uh, to take a job as a federal employee. So it's actually a that's a good program that we're working on, and I'm excited about that one. All right. PassNational.org is a website you want to go to if you want to learn some more information about that. David Spiro joining us on our live line. He is national president of PASS, professional aviation safety specialist. We're going to talk about telework and where was David on 9-11. We'll talk about that and talk about air safety 20-some years later. Back in a few minutes. You're listening to America's Workforce with Ed Flash Ferrens. It takes Lyuna to keep America running. Over 70,000 public employees are part of Lyuna, the Laborers International Union of North America, delivering critical services such as healthcare and emergency response, as well as maintaining roads and sanitation systems. Even the National Postal Mail Handlers Union, representing over 47,000 U.S. postal workers, is affiliated with Lyuna. Find out what it takes for Lyuna to keep America running at lyuna.org. That's L-I-U-N-A dot org. America's Workforce is brought to you in part by the United Auto Workers. Find more at UAW dot O-R-G. America's Workforce is brought to you in part by the International Brotherhood of Teamsters, where you can find more at Teamster dot O-R-G. A great union requires a reliable election system. Survey and Ballot Systems is a trusted election partner with more than 30 years of expertise in managing union elections. By partnering with SBS, your union can ensure it gets an auditable process and a high level of customer service. SBS is here to help you conduct your union vote securely, transparently, and with trust building always in mind. Visit surveyandballotsystems.com to learn more. America's Workforce is brought to you in part by the Ironworkers. You can find more at ironworkers.org. Now, back to Ed Flash Ferrens with America's Workforce. And remember, you can check us out on Facebook or follow us on Twitter. That would be AWF Union Podcast. By the way, this next segment brought to you in part by the Ohio Federation of Teachers, where you can find more at oh.aft.org. Let's go back to our live line. Rejoin David Sparrow, national president, a professional aviation safety specialist, passnational.org. David, I know one of the uh, topics you wanted to talk about is the return to office plans of the Biden administration for federal employees. I know this is a big issue. In fact, uh, many in the private sector, they want all their workers to be back. My daughter told me uh, October 1, which is right around the corner, they want her back in the office. She works like just one day in the office and the rest of the time at work. And uh, a lot of this happened, obviously, during COVID. And they especially got pretty 
accustomed to working remotely. So what's going on with the uh, with the FAA here? I mean, this policy is, I understand, a violation of your CBA, yeah. your collect. Okay, talk to me about that. Yeah, so <clears throat> we've got two major collective bargaining agreements, and we have some robust language in both contracts around telework. And effectively, the agency has to uh, um, assess each individual telework request from a business perspective. Is the request reasonable? Uh, is, it, is the employee uh, uh, able to accomplish their government work uh, in, in accordance with it? So there are uh, specific criteria, and they can't just randomly say, well, we're not going to we're not going to uh, allow this employee to telework. They have to give a business reason for it. And of course, by painting a broad brush and saying, okay, everybody's back in the office for three days per week. Well, that doesn't work. We, we've got employees, especially the aviation safety inspectors uh, and, and people that work at regional offices as well. These giant brick and mortar buildings that uh, were, were built to house people. And of course, put them on the highway and create traffic jams as you, as you well know. Um, they, they, it's not necessary now. We learned a lot from, from COVID. There's all these telework tools that are available. And so when the agency came out and said, listen, you, you all, we're going to do this, uh, we, we mobilized and we filed a national grievance. Uh, we put out communications to all the employees and we told them, hey, this, this, is, a, this is a violation of our contracts and we're going to fight it. And interestingly enough, uh, Within that, within that first 24 hours, and you're, you know, we represent 11,000 people. Within that first 24 hours, we had about 100 people join the union overnight <laughs> um, just, just, just because, because we took this on. And, and, uh, but most, you know, much of the uh, work that our folks do, especially inspectors, doesn't require them to be in a water cooling environment. And they operate independently. Some of them have never even been to an office because they work remotely. And that's a whole nother sort of work that's not being captured. So when the agency decides that they want to, they want to start capturing this accurately. Well, I think then, uh, you know, we're, we're certainly willing to participate and collaborate with them on, on how to do that. But uh, they've, they've pulled back their plans. Uh, they have not instituted uh, the policy, so to speak, that, 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 um, the Biden administration asked them to put out, which, by the way, they weren't doing properly. Uh, it's not the guidance that they were given. The guidance they were given actually reflects the same language we have in our collective bargaining agreements, which is to to make good, smart business decisions. And that's not what they were doing. And they wanted this to go in effect, I see, on October 9th. So right now, they is it off the table right now? No, I, I, I never, I never assume that with the agency. Uh, something, when they bring something up, they're always going to bring it back. Uh, yeah. And uh, we, we, we've been hearing that by December or so, they, they want to begin to have, have more of these uh, metrics, I guess you, wanna, you can call them, uh, in place where they can report to the White House that they've got people working in the office. But the fact of the matter is, a lot of our folks are, aren't, aren't going to be in the office. And so you can't say that somebody's working four or five days a week to telework when, in fact, Four of those days are out in the field doing surveillance on, air, on aircraft operators, uh, doing check rides with pilots, that sort of thing. You can't you can't uh, make those numbers match up. David, what what happens here? It sounds me and correct me if I'm wrong that they decided to initiate this return to work policy without reading <laughs> your collective bargaining agreement. Is that kind of what happened here? 
Well, not only did they do that, but they didn't even notify the union properly that they were going to institute a policy. They just went out there and created a video and sent it out to all, all the employees uh, right behind their back. Uh, and and we, you know, that we were told by labor relations that they were going to notify us, and then they didn't. Uh, so that that raised our ire quite a bit, I will tell you. Uh, and I had several conversations with senior leadership in the FAA expressing our concerns. Let's put it that way. And and yeah. uh, they, they didn't pull back. I'll give them credit. Polly Trottenberg uh, uh, took the lead on this as the acting administrator and uh, deputy secretary in uh, transportation. She did take the lead on this and not. They did do the right thing by putting the brakes on it. But that's uh, all I could say is the brakes are on. They haven't turned the engine off. Yeah, gotcha. But you are getting more people joining the union as a result. You know, when management does stupid things, unions prosper. That's usually the case. We're gonna All break right. it. We're Let's... gonna break a record this year for membership. Good, 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 good. I like to hear that. All right, David, let's switch gears here a little bit. I want to talk about nine eleven. We got the anniversary coming up next Monday, and uh, I'd like to know the status of air safety today. But let's go back to that day. Where were you on September eleventh, two thousand one, David? <laughs> I was uh, in Tulsa, Oklahoma. I was a technician with the FAA. I was a radar tech. Uh, it was obviously, you know, at 8 o'clock in the morning there in Oklahoma. Uh, and I was, uh, I was getting ready to go out to one of my sites, uh, getting some paperwork ready to go. And uh, there was a TV on in one of the break rooms. And, uh, of course, everyone was starting to rush in there because of the news. And uh, it, was, it, was, it was daunting. It was quite upsetting to see. Um, and immediately, though, we, we stepped into gear, uh, began to go out. There was procedures to go out and make sure all our sites were secure. Uh, air traffic began to mobilize and bring airplanes down on the ground. It was, it was an incredible effort that, and this is 22 years ago, uh, it was an incredible effort by, by folks with uh, different sorts of technology and communications available than there are today uh, because we learned lessons from 9-11 and the ability to uh, – interface with different agencies, you know, across the, across the board. And, uh, it was, it was, uh, something to behold. And it was, a it was a sad day, but it was also a day when, when we all came together and were able to accomplish a tremendous task, bringing all those airplanes down to the ground in such a short period of time. So fast forward 22 years later, uh, how, how do you feel about air safety today, David? I mean, you said a couple of eye-opening things in the first segment here with regard to not having the tools to do your job to protect the airline's safety protocol. Where, where are we right now, in your opinion? So, you know, FAA has stepped up their game significantly on cybersecurity, as you can imagine. Um, I, but I will tell you that, that when it comes to staffing the workforces and making sure that we've got folks out there, we don't have nearly the number of people out there to do the, the work that we used to have. And, and that, uh, look, that's important that having employees that are working in an air traffic control environment, uh, protect, protecting the national airspace system is, is something that should be uh, front and center along with security. Because you need people, yeah, to to accomplish the work that we do, and um, that's that's something that that I think is uh, not really a priority for the agency right now, and it needs to be. Do you feel that it's like an accident, another accident waiting to happen, much like nine eleven? I mean, there were some warnings on that day that were ignored. There were agencies that didn't talk to each other. 
you you kind of indicated it's better, but it's it's far from perfect, right? Well, I, and I think that's always in, in everything you do, uh, you're always striving to be perfect, right? And there's always going to be, I think, um, things that you learn along the way in that in that effort to become perfect. But I, I would say that they have. I, I won't criticize them. Uh, deeply on cybersecurity uh, and, and how they handle it. They're very serious about it. Um, and and that, for that, I'm thankful. I really am. I, I think that that's uh, a, a tremendous uh, step forward for the agency. Our aviation safety inspectors are out in the field, uh, and they're the folks that deal with general aviation, uh, the airport operators, the airports, uh, when, it, when it comes to uh, um, uh, having access to, to, to the airfield. So I think that, um, th- you know, that's, that's where these sorts of things happen. I think cybersecurity in and of itself, is always a, a threat. Uh, that's, I think that's probably, uh, the new school way of, of having some sort of an attack. And it's, you know, clearly, uh, that, that's something that uh, the government's got to keep their, their guard on at all times. Uh, but again, you've got to have people around. Uh, to make sure that people aren't walking in and infiltrating places and getting on airplanes and doing damage like they did 22 years ago. Yeah, yeah, it goes back to staffing again. All right, one more question here. Will there be any commemoration next uh, next Monday on 9-11? You know, the firefighters, the building trades that cleaned up the mess over there after that uh, horrible day. There's a pause. I know there'll be commemorations. Anything on behalf of your union, professional aviation safety specialists? We, we always try to participate in something uh, in, in D.C. or around the country. Our, our employees are scattered about uh, around, around the country, uh, and many of them are on the job during that period of time as well. But um, we do try to participate in any sort of larger events that are going on. So we're looking forward to that. All right, we'll leave it on that note. David Spiro, National President of Professional Aviation Safety Specialists, national website, passnational.org. This is an organization that represents more than 11,000 employees at the FAA and Department of Defense who install, maintain, support, and certify air traffic control and national defense equipment. Very, very important job there. David, you take care. And please keep in touch with us on these issues and more. Okay, brother? Thanks, Flash. All right, that'll be it for another edition of America's Workforce. Tomorrow, we're going to check in with the Bureau of Labor Statistics and the United Labor Agency. Until then, all of you have a safe and wonderful day. That concludes another episode of the America's Workforce radio podcast. Thanks for listening, and be sure to subscribe so you never miss a show. America's Workforce is a production of Labor Tools and BMA Media Group. Find out more information online at labortools.com.